0: Coming up on Philosophy Talk, is it wrong to wreck the Earth?
1: What kind of a person would act recklessly knowing that that might well create the conditions under which the planet wouldn't support human life?
0: How does the happiness of future generations, those who don't exist yet, affect what's right and wrong now?
1: We have basic um, obligations of fairness. These notions that if you make a mess, you clean it up. The notion that if you break something, you own it.
0: Do we really know that a
1: warmer world is a worse world? There are cases of invincible ignorance, and to those people, I would say, I don't care. Is it intrinsically wrong to wreck the earth?
0: Our guest is the environmental ethicist, Kathleen Moore.
1: I mean, we are the recipients of this extraordinary gift. That calls for a response of gratitude from us.
0: Recorded in front of a live audience at Oregon State University in Corvallis. Is it wrong
1: to wreck the earth? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything except your intelligence. I'm John Perry, and I'm Ken Taylor. Today, we're recording the program at program at Oregon State University.
0: Oregon State University plays an important role in the philosophy world this year because the quarterback of the Oregon State Beavers is a philosophy major, Sean Canfield. <laughs> Stand up. <call. laughs> Sean is a real Kantian. He treats some people as ends. But our thinking originated at
1: Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. And we're very pleased to be here in Corvallis. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, folks. Ken, today's
0: topic is, is it wrong to wreck the earth? I suppose the
1: obvious answer is yes. Well, (laughs) duh, as my 12-year-old son would say. But I think the answer may be more obvious than the meaning of the question. I mean, I assume that we're not asking if it's wrong for me or you to wreck the earth right now for everybody else around, like, you know, you keeping my earth away from me. But it's something more like what a. All of us, the people that are currently alive, busily polluting the streams and the rivers and the oceans, warming the globe, killing off species and the like, and having a grand time doing it, and and in the process making the Earth a less agreeable place for future generations, are doing something wrong, maybe wrong to those future generations. Well, I think you're right. That's the question we're aiming at. But, but I think it's still
0: pretty clear that the answer is yes, it's wrong. Don't you agree?
1: Well, look, don't try to back me into being the one who's going to actually advocate wrecking the earth, John. <laughs> but is it so obvious that it's wrong? I mean, suppose we frame the question like this. Those currently alive will somehow collectively decide between two options. First, We could make minimal changes to the way we live now and leave future generations a very polluted, very warm earth. Or we can make very substantial changes to the way we live now but at great cost to our own comfort level while leaving a less polluted and less warmed up earth for future generations. Here's an analogy. Imagine a 70-year-old person. He's got a million dollars and a disease that gives him five years to live. He has a struggling 40-year-old daughter too. Now, he can do two things. He can live well for his last five years and leave his daughter a small amount, or he can scrimp and save his final five years, you know, not enjoying all the things he enjoys, and leave his daughter comfortably well off. I mean, it would be very nice of him to do the latter, but it's not clear to me that it would be wrong for him to do the former.
0: Well, that's a a pretty good analogy, but I think there is a disanalogy buried in the heart of the analogy like a worm or something like that. The man might think that if his daughter works hard, as hard as he has all his life, she could earn enough on her own to be well off. So he may pass up the opportunity to, to make her life comfortable, which would be nice of him, but he hasn't thereby deprived her of the means of having a nice life herself. But the damage we do to the world, by and large, can't be undone. The parts of the world made uninhabitable by global warming are going to be that way for a long time. The species that disappear will never be brought back into existence. It's one thing for a man not to share the money he has earned and saved with his daughter. It's another for him to destroy the possibility of her doing as well for herself. And that's what we're
1: doing by wrecking the world the way that we are. Well, you've got a point, but there's another disanalogy. Look, the people who will be most disadvantaged by the damage uh, to the earth, the ones who will be, you know, grappling with inundated cities and a non-working Gulf Stream toward the end of this century, they don't exist. They don't exist any more than your imaginary friends exist. I mean, do we really owe anything to people that don't exist? That's a rather puzzling sort of obligation, don't you think?
0: Well, I guess so. I mean, if the Gulf Stream it's working, Norway will get very, very cold. And so you're asking me, what do we owe to non existent Norwegians? There you yeah. go. <laughs> well, it's hard to say. But. <laughs> But maybe it's wrong to suppose that the wrongness of wrecking the Earth is a matter of mistreating some people or persons that just happen not to exist. I mean, here's another way to look at it. We we live in this whole big system, the ecosystem on Earth. It's the system wherein life of every sort has come, including human life, all life has evolved within this ecosystem. Isn't there something intrinsically wrong
1: about harming the system that's the very ground of our existence? John, I never knew you were such a mystical guy. I mean, you're, you're an earth worshiper. You worship the earth as if it were a god. But look, what if it turned out that the best thing for the earth and the ecosystem and all the chimps and insects and frogs, what if the best thing for them was that humans would just disappear and quit screwing things up? Would you advocate that out of your earth worship? I'd have to think about it, but, you know, we're getting a little above my pay grade here. I think we need
0: some help. And we've got Kathleen Dean Moore, a professor right here at Oregon State University, who's going to join us soon. She's just finished co-editing a book called For All Time, Our Obligation to Save the Future. So I guess I know where she
1: stands. And we want to know where our audience stands, too. We'd like you to join in this conversation. But first,
0: our roving philosophical reporter, Rena Palta, talks to someone who tracks the nitty-gritty details of how we're wrecking the Earth. She files this report.
2: We hear a lot about climate change in the news. A vast majority of Americans, 85%, now believe global warming is probably happening. The notion that,
0: that, that man-made gas is CO2, CO2 cause global warming is probably the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. And
1: the kind of extreme weather scientists warned of 20 years
0: ago. They've been cooking that science since 1998.
2: But how much of it is true? What do we actually know about how we're impacting the planet?
3: You know, there are a lot of changes happening in our environment that may be connected to climate change, but actually proving that connection is pretty difficult.
2: Philip Moat is director of the Oregon Climate Change Research Institute at Oregon State University.
3: The problem is that as you zoom in on a locale, its climate is so variable, we can really only discern the influences of greenhouse gases on very large spatial scales.
2: That being said, Moat believes scientists have made conclusive connections between human actions and earthly consequences. The idea of climate change really took flight after a 1967 study which modeled the connection between rising carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere and rising temperatures. It was a primitive experiment by today's standards.
3: But nothing really in the last 40 years has overturned the basic conclusion from that paper, which was no matter how many aspects of the global climate system you um, either include or ignore you get the same basic answer. You double carbon dioxide, and you're going to increase global temperature by around five degrees Fahrenheit.
2: We've built human societies according to certain understandings of what our climate looks like. Our coastlines, weather patterns, seasons are all things we take for granted when we're building houses, planting crops, and figuring out a city's water supply. Moat says those are the things that will likely change if the world continues warming. Like glaciers melting, Soupy ice cracking holes in roads and other infrastructure. And species like frogs changing their mating patterns, and sometimes dying out.
3: Fish and wildlife changing the timing when different life events happen, expanding or contracting their ranges to follow a warming climate.
2: Moat says even if we stop all emissions today, carbon dioxide stays in the atmosphere for some 50 years and we would be lucky if things leveled off at what's still considered an alarming concentration of greenhouse gases.
3: Every notch that we fall short of that optimistic goal of only doubling carbon dioxide means additional problems with water supply, agriculture, disease, species extinctions. You know, the ethical question is, How willing are we to make changes in our own comfort level, our own economic strength this year and the next 10 years so that those eventual consequences are not as bad? Science can only go so far in describing the problem. The sort of ethical and philosophical dimension of this is critical.
2: For Philosophy Talk, I'm Rina Palta.
1: You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.